I got it shaped up the other day. It's well trimmed, nicely done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good job. It was uh, what was that? Three Sparta. They're they're asking what it looked like. I was like the dude in Sparta, like the three hundred Sparta guy, like <laughs> Leonidas. Make, yeah, make me look like him. Well, at least it's still black, right? I've got yeah. this starting right here, so that's. Uh, you, I've got. The What's gray. that called? Snow on the porch. That was See, it. Got, There's some snow little, on the porch. Yeah. 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 It's all snow eventually. Just awesome. gonna tell you. I swear, well, Oliver, this gets better. <laughs> what I was about to say is my Zoom has Chris and then Phil below. So it's almost like I have, I don't know, like what, what Phil will, I, I would actually maybe I'll stop there because Phil you might get upset. before and after? Is that yeah, where you're going yeah. here? Yeah. <laughs> nice start, dude. <laughs> yeah. Why would I be upset? It's Lockhart who should be upset. Oh my God, this is what's going to happen to me? Holy cow. <laughs> end it now end it now Fail now yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a, a glimpse into my future is that it Welcome to another episode of Consultants Saying Things. I'm Chris Lockhart. Um, really good uh, panel today. I'm joined by the full crew. We have Bill Bensing, Phil Yanoff, uh, Carol Hamilton, Shashi Shramali, and special guest, Oliver Cronk. So Oliver is uh, Chief Architect at Tanium. Um, he is the podcast host of Architect Tomorrow, among mm-hmm. other things, uh, which I'll let him talk about. Um, today, we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, some cybersecurity. So, uh, Oliver, I'll, I'll toss it to you. Uh, you know, why don't you give us a little bit of your background and, and let's let's get into this topic because it's it's a huge one. Sure. So, a bit a bit on me. Uh, I've been an architect. There are different types of architect for you know, for for many years across different industries, uh, and I yeah, joined Tanium, who are um, unified endpoint management and unified endpoint security platform. And uh, also, as you say, lead, lead on Architect Tomorrow, which we, which we might come on to in a bit. Um, but yeah, essentially, I, 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 thanks, for, you know, thanks for kind of doing the cybersecurity topic, because I think it's a really timely concern, right? I mean, often cybersecurity and technology are kind of behind the scenes, kind of keeping things running. But right now, I think it's really come to the, the forefront, right? The, um, the IT folks, the technology folks, and the cybersecurity folks are, are kind of you know, really on the front, front line, as it were, in ensuring their uh, their businesses and their organizations continue to, to operate um, during you know, unprecedented times, right? So, um, and I think the, the thing that's really happened is, you know, digital business, but also, you know, mass work, working from home, distributed workforce is creating new challenges and it's making businesses kind of have to make quite rapid decisions about how they continue to operate. And whereas previously, perhaps there, there would have been a lot more risk kind of, you know, mitigation, a lot more planning, a lot more, you know, a, a whole change program maybe to kind of make a massive shift like this, you know, not, not only from the technology standpoint, but from like a people and, and working practices kind of standpoint as well, right? And um, hence why sort of cybersecurity awareness as much as cybersecurity kind of technology is, is really important right now. You know, as you pointed out, the entire uh, shift to the work from home model, right, is, uh, you know, is something that, you know, companies do over years, typically, 
right? Not all at once, right? In response to external stimuli, right? Um, I mean, I don't know, Phil, you, you've, you work with these, you know, a lot of people that um, come to you that are looking to be consultants. And I mean, I guess I would think cybersecurity would be one of the top things or one of the top skills that they're talking about right now. Well, it's obviously hot in the job market. And as you point out, lots of folks need it, right? I mean, it's, it, again, the sort of work for home, you know, we are now, I mean, it used to be, and I, it, we used to be protected, right? I mean, it was in a castle with a moat around it. And mm -hmm. now we're not in that kind of space anymore. You know, we have our armies are in the field and they're widely distributed, right? And uh, Oliver, I, got, I have to think that's a big challenge. I don't know how you're addressing that. Yeah, no, I mean, I, 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 yeah, that's exactly the way I look at it as well. The cold castle walls have kind of come down, right? I mean, the, 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 the front line is now essentially someone's, someone's house. And therefore, for us as an endpoint sort of security endpoint management uh, solution provider, it, you know, it, our kind of time is kind of now really in order to kind of demonstrate why the endpoint is, is that critical kind of line of defense, as it were, that, you know, and yeah, it's not all about technology. You need to make sure your people are, are educated and doing the right things as well. And perhaps we can come on to that in a bit. But no, for me, it's kind of like the endpoint is now the front line, whereas you're right before, perhaps you could um, sit behind those layers of security that you might have, you know, the physical security of the office, perhaps, you know, the kind of swipe badge entry and all those sort of physical security measures, but particularly heavily regulated industries. If you think about kind of, you know, banks and trading floors and so on, you know, oftentimes a lot of security and a lot of compliance checks and controls, right, around is someone doing insider trading or, or whatever, often rely on kind of, you know, cameras in the office or, you know, swipe badge sort of checks to see if someone's tailgating someone, all this sort of stuff, you know, lots of kind of measures that you just can't, you know, you, you, you can't enforce when folks are working remotely and working from their homes, you know, there's nothing stopping you, you know, one of your kids to sort of uh, accidentally using your machine if you leave it unlocked and all yeah. of a sudden maybe can maybe can delete a critical file or something you know th th this sort of stuff is now you know uh, challenges we're, we're all facing sort of day in day out with our with our extended enterprises you know because they truly are now extended enterprises right what i mean what does intrusion detection mean when no one's in the castle anymore you know, well this is that? a really that's a really good point. I think a lot of solutions are no longer that relevant because if they relied on being on-premise and they relied on a bit of tin sort of sitting in the office to do that sort of intrusion detection and, and check for those sort of attacks, then then yeah, that's that's really not going to be doing an awful lot right now other than perhaps the limited number of people that might be in the office or perhaps if there are still uh, physical production parts of your of your of your organization that are still operating then perhaps they're, they're, they're monitoring those people but but yeah and I, th I think it's kind of been a real uh wake-up call for folks that have kind of been operating on that castle methodology both from the say for physical security but also the technology controls that they had in place and the, also the acceleration of folks moving to cloud one really interesting you know, anecdote i heard recently is you know for those of you who know amazon cloud there's a spot price service that you can use when there's low capacity you know, when not many people are using it apparently spot like just stopped fairly soon into the whole lockdown situation as as, as businesses were spinning up more you know um cloud compute to kind of respond to e-commerce so there's lots of indicators that cloud and online is is obviously where things are going which just yeah to your point, uh, Phil, means that a lot of this on-premise stuff that was keeping people safe or keeping organizations safe just isn't doing an awful lot for folks now. But is it, would you say like it's uh, one industry is hit more than the other? For example, I mean, I've been working from home or any firm I have worked with in the past, like for 15 plus years, we have been working from home. So it is not a new for us. 
versus there are some industries which are more in-person laboratory services or something of that sort. Uh, I don't don't necessarily think it's an industry, but it may also be a kind of type of work, right? If you look at contact centers, when I was in in industry, like working as an enterprise architect, the contact center world, given GDPR and privacy controls is a hotly kind of regulated kind of role, right? They've got access to lots of personal information, often banking information and things like that. And so many uh, organizations have chosen not to get those folks working from home because they just can't implement a solution that can securely kind of manage the privacy issues there. So yeah, I I think industry is definitely ones that are more exposed to kind of sensitive data Data, you know, financial data, sensitive information uh, are certainly the ones that I find this challenging because all of a sudden they kind of face a really difficult decision. Do we essentially kind of affect our customer experience, our customer service by not having as many contact center workers or, or, or effectively saying don't phone us, which some companies have literally said, which is quite incredible really, and, and it, but that's just the unprecedented sort of like, uh, times we're facing. Or do you start to say, right, I'm going to accept some risks about the security and the privacy of some of this data. Uh, so it's a really interesting sort of trade-off. And I think, yeah, it's it's clearly affecting different industries in different ways, but I would say it's all, you also need to look at the, the, the types of work as well and the nature of the data that folks have access to. So I know, Oliver, I mean, I know you primarily deal with endpoints, um, mm. the security risk, but I mean, is it your perspective on, you know, it, uh, are there new threat models? Are there new vectors of attack? I mean, are there, are there new things that maybe we haven't seen before because we haven't all been at home at the same time? Yeah, I'm not certain that there there are, but I would say it's more an extension of the same. Like like Shashi said, you know, for some working remotely isn't a new isn't a new thing. It's just that you know this wholesale working remotely uh, is the kind of you know the extreme that no one's ever faced. So there's there's a, there's a few things. That I, I would say they're not just on the security side either. They're on the capacity as well. Like if you think about how many organisations VPNs were ever designed to handle the amount of traffic they're now being hit with, where people are trying to log in and work from home. So there's you know this this folks then not able to use those sort of services because they're just over capacity. So they're then sort of working around the constraints of of working remotely. Um, The other piece I would say is that, unfortunately, there are people playing on the pandemic. You know, so there are people playing on people's fears, doing phishing attacks and various other things, impersonating business, you know, emails, um, which perhaps when you're working from home, you're, you're to a personal email and perhaps your work email might be a bit more blurred. So, you know, you might better get people through you know personal um, email accounts and, and other forms of you know communication that previously folks w- wouldn't have looked at during the working day as much maybe and there's that blurring I think between personal and business which some are exploiting for sure. My experience has been you know a lot of um, technology uh, components and systems and products historically in this space were geared for like full-on enterprise you know uh, environment a corporate environment. Mm-hmm. You know, intrusion detection systems, right? Uh, policy servers, et cetera. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, it's like your Dell computer comes with McAfee pre-installed, right? And and like that's supposed ABG. to be secure. And yeah. so now we've got we've got that level of protection, but we have the responsibility of the the enterprise um, work going on. So. You know, and I don't know. I know. I know. Bill's dealt with uh, some of these um, some of these types of products, but are, are there are there are there new ways of defending against that kind of attack? I don't know. Bill, uh, oh, I'll leave it. I'll leave it to you guys to debate on who should answer that question. But we're going to geek out because I want to see what you think about this, Oliver. VPN is dead and it doesn't fucking know it yet. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree that the VPN is, is, is definitely dead. Is one of the trends I would say is coming out of this pandemic. Yeah, I think you know, zero trust now has a massive opportunity. You know, the kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting what Google are doing with Beyond Corp and so on. So, um, and, and I'm not going to lie that you know, for Tanium, that's a little bit challenging because, as Chris said, you know, large enterprises, we've served the biggest enterprises in the world, like the US military, one of our biggest customers. And of course, there is a certain way of operating with those large corporate networks. And so, you know, the moving to the distributor model does come with some challenges because we're, you know, our, our unique selling point is that we've got a distributed compute, a distributed uh, network architecture that's quite different, well, very different from anywhere else's and it works better when you're on a when you're on a LAN in all honesty because you can exploit you know not exploit that's definitely the wrong word you can leverage the fact that you're on uh, a local area network and reduce the number of connections back to a single server so we we've, we've absolutely you know, looked at other parts of our of our kind of architecture like the zone server for example that allows you to essentially create encrypted channels to your um security management and your IT management solutions without having to stick that traffic on the VPN. Because that's what was killing a lot of customers was patching and all that sort of stuff was going over the VPN. And that's just nailing a VPN connection. You can't do any business over that VPN connection then because it's being completely saturated with security traffic. So, you know, reclaiming those connections for the business. But you're right. It's ultimately proven that VPN is either very expensive to scale or just doesn't scale and creates a horrible experience for employees working remotely. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally with you on that one. Can you explain what zero trust is? Because it's funny how when uh, some people have just never heard about it before, and then like their eyes, you look at them, they're just like, I, I still don't understand. Like, and it's one of these I, new, I, it's it's one of these new buzzwords as well, which many people think they understand. It's a bit like cloud, you know. It, it, there's more to it than I think. You know, just those two words. So some people sort of think, oh, it just doesn't mean anything is trusted anymore. Essentially, for me, it means sort of layering of trust. Like, and you start off with the assumption that ev everything is is not safe, you know, and yeah. so you know the, the zero trust model is you effectively start from a, a point of and so it's a bit like when you're walking down the street and um you know you're in an unknown place you treat everyone like a stranger you would be cautious about any of those people if you didn't know them about meeting them and actually in a say you're you know in a, you walk into a different department of a company that you work in and you don't know those people it's a bit it's a bit like that rather than just assuming oh well i'm in the office so everyone here is cool you know it's it's being more cautious about about you know the systems that your computer is talking to and one of the key components of that that we address is what is going on with that device. How secure is that device? How up to date is it? Is it patched? What operating system is it running? It's that kind of device footprint piece of the zero trust story that we very much uh, work with. And we've announced sort of relationships with Okta and so on and other things. I need to be a little bit careful because I know there are some things on, in the works that I can't talk about. But no, that's very much where, where, where our heads are is in that being part of that zero trust ecosystem, which, yeah, I think it's, it's a techie thing, definitely. But it's um, it, ultimately it could lead to a much better experience for employees. So I, I would I would say it's no longer a techie thing. If you see how people, most of the world has responded to COVID nineteen, it was a zero trust model. I don't trust anybody. I'm going to put on my mask. So it has come out of the geek bag. And that's now a really interesting analogy, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I haven't thought of it that way, but no. And if you, if you follow that, then you can uh, stop the spread. Well, and Zoom has played right into that, hasn't it? Because you've got all these people who are working from home who are now having those casual conversations, which feels like that blend between social and, and you know, where is work ending and where is, is home starting? And then Zoom comes in and says, you know, the news is suddenly filled with Zoom is, you know, if you use Zoom, you're going to die. And so now all of a sudden security, and what I hear as I'm listening to this is I hear, oh, great, here's 14 more 
more things I have to worry about, right? Now I've got intruders, which are going to walk in through my screen as if we didn't have enough problems as my whole business is, is in flux and in change. I get, I, so I get like, you know, we see these changes. We see the uh, impact of a crisis uh, changing sort of how we're working and the implications of all that. Uh, who manages this? Who manages this for an enterprise, Oliver? Who, who does it? I mean, I think this is where the kind of CISO role has really kind of been elevated, right? I mean, I think the um, there's been a lot of debate about how technical a CISO should be versus sort of how business sort of savvy they need to be. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's made it clear that the CISO needs to talk the business language. They need to be able to kind of communicate and lead a situation like this and make sure the organization is thinking about the holistic risk picture, not just the sort of security and technology risk picture, but those physical risks that, you know, we've kind of touched on, like, you know, the kids perhaps getting access to something they shouldn't have access to and, you know, it, it, or, or just, you know, leaving the laptop somewhere or, you know, working in an environment that's just not sensible given the information you've got access to. So, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately it's that kind of cliche that security is everyone's responsibility, a bit like health and safety, right? But ultimately I think folks need to kind of have that leadership to understand what are those really important things I need to know? You know, because ultimately, as, as Carol says, this can be really baffling for folks. It's just too much. It's just, you know, what, what now? You know, what's the next thing I need to be aware of? And I think it's, it's important that, you know, that kind of comes, given, given that folks are kind of in a really stressful time at home, at work, you know, kind of this blended model, you know, they're, they're probably suffering from like information overload anyway. So how do you kind of make sure you land the right messages with them? I think is really important. So I had a question around the org structure, right? So we always had this debate around general IT, where does IT, you know, CIO of the company report to that business savviness is also an IT thing, but now they have understood or everybody kind of agrees, CIO needs to be more business savvy. But mm -hmm. when you bring in the CISO, is it like CISO sort of reporting into CIO versus it should report more to your, uh, you know, directly to the CEO of the company? What are the trends around that? It's very much moving to kind of a board level issue for many firms. I mean, certainly when I was working in banking, the CISO was 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 kind of a you know board level, or if if not, was certainly a regular regular guest at the board meeting, right? Yeah. And would advise the board on you know the trends and the, and the challenges and the risks. But the, I think the key challenges had to distill you know, what is often a very complicated topic and very technical, you know, layered in a number of ways, how do you distill that down and make that make sense? So what are the kind of key risks or risk indicators or whatever that, you know, that the board really needs to kind of understand to make sort of sensible judgments? Because if you're just sort of talking cyber mumbo jumbo at them, the, yeah, the, 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 yeah they're, they're just going to get lost. So I think that, that, yeah, the point about where the report is one thing, but I think it's also making sure you've got a CISO that's able to kind of act as that bridge between business risk and technology risk and, and physical security risk. And I guess the other answer to the question as well is, does the organization already have a chief risk officer? You know, because if it does, then it's probably the CISO reporting into the chief risk officer. If they Very don't, sure. the CISO is almost probably becoming a bit of a pseudo chief risk officer to a degree, I think. Usually risk and compliance are sort of combined mm -hmm. in many places what I've seen. So would you say that, you know, security, risk and compliance kind of responsibility folds into one? I, I think this is this is a topic you could debate, you know, uh, separately, right? Because when I, when I was at Deloitte, you know, it was really interesting to see how much 
how different it was in different organizations. Some had a separate risk and compliance function and a CISO function and a legal function. I mean, this whole how you organize this sort of legal risk and compliance and cybersecurity piece now, I think is it, 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 lots of organizations have taken different uh, roles. But personally, I see a lot of overlap between between these. And I think it makes sense to have, you know, obviously the right balance of having enough depth. But uh, but I think there's a danger that if you've split it too, you know, spread it too thin, you don't get that kind of overall view. And uh, I think you need to better make the pragmatic trade-offs between, you know, operating effectively as a business and these different sort of security and risk concerns. I personally, I think it makes sense to roll all these things under the risk kind of agenda. Um, but it, I think it very much depends on the industry and how how they're kind of structured and perhaps. Are there gaps that you need to fill on the other C-suite members by by those other roles? Maybe. Now, where, I, where I've seen it particularly ineffective, right, is um, whether by regulatory uh, requirement or whatever, um, you know, c- cybersecurity is seen almost purely as a technology function, right? <laughs> and meanwhile, sitting over there are all the <laughs> the risk and compliance people. And you know, and they're more thinking of it in terms of legal, right? In, or in, financial risk, maybe. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so I, I just always find that interesting, right? When you say cybersecurity, it's like, you know, sometimes the answer is, well, what we mean is VPN and firewalls and policy servers and, you know, uh, SSO and all these other things. And yeah, um, I'm not sure that that's really true. I, I, you know, Carol, you said something earlier though that I thought was interesting, also, right? I mean, so. You know, if it if it is mumbo jumbo, if it is sort of you know an IT technology thing, like how what's what's the path here to make this real for the 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 employees that actually need they're the first line of defense now, right? Because they're sitting at home in their office. How does it become real for them? They have to understand the priorities because it is so easy to send out another email of warning. Here's the latest risk and here's what it is. But you probably did that yesterday and you might've done that at 10 o'clock this morning and you're going to do it again at midnight tonight. And you at cybersecurity, while it's become an important topic, if it's not a priority in my brain, because ultimately that's not at risk to me personally, I may not think about it. I may just go, I'm going to add that into the, the list of things that they want me to worry about that I can't do anything about. So the real question becomes, what's in this for me? What is the impact? If this thing gets into my computer, what does that do to my life? Does that change everything? Have I just put the company at risk? What is it? So that's where these, some of these priorities have to be decided. And then what is the actual action you want me to take right here, right now? very, very specifically in preferably in less than two sentences. Hmm. You got to figure out how to make these technical things mere mortal. What is the impact to me and how do you, what do you exactly do you want me to do and by when? Now I have, I can put it into a timeline and even if I don't understand it, I know I need to go through this protocol in order to make my machine safer. The basics of should I keep my 14 year old off my laptop? I've got that. Because I understand that from a realistic so perspective. What is the secret to that? I need to write that down. <laughs> yeah, it's handcuffs, it turns out, and a locked room. Okay. Um, but the reality is... Uninsta- you know, I keep uninstalling. I hear, does Tanium have a solution for this, Oliver? I, I'm, I keep uninstalling <laughs> TikTok from every device, and it keeps coming back. And I yeah, feel like either yeah, the Chinese are in the house or something's going on. <laughs> It's actually a virus. We can talk about that offline. Okay, great. Yeah. I, 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 just, I took a note on that one. Sorry. 
Right. Don't waste your time, right? I mean, don't waste my, my emotional or, or mental energy saying, keep my 14-year-old out of there. Tell me what I'm looking for. If you see this, that means mm. you need to call us. Okay, mm. clear, to the point. And now let me get back to all the other fires that are going on in my life. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I get it. And I think the challenge is there aren't, I don't think there are that many people that can translate. So there are, there are right. many people that are great, you know, subject matter experts at the latest security threat, and they know all the technical ins and outs of that exploit and how, how that would happen. And, um, but, then, but then translating that into something you know, in, in plain English uh, is often a challenge, right? And uh, equally, the comms team that might be asked to send out the email, they're, they're just sort of left copying and pasting the mumbo jumbo from yes. the cyber team and going, oh, don't really understand what that means, but I don't understand it, so I can't edit it. Um, right. Yeah, you know, so many places I've worked, it's literally been like that. And at some point, you need somebody. And this comes back to Shashi's question of what is the 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 structure? Who's making these decisions of what is the greatest threat right now? And how often can you hit me with the greatest threat? Because at some point, I'm going numb, mm. and that's your most dangerous place is when you have inundated me with information that didn't translate into my world. And now you're, and now I'm not even opening your emails because, you know, whatever, Linus, I've moved on. Uh, and I guess and, this is maybe where you kind of have a combination of, if you have the right, if you have the technology kind of able to kind of cover the things that it can cover, yes. then, it, then, then you maybe focus on the things that are the human social engineering aspects. Yes. Uh, and it's kind of getting that balance right, I think, because otherwise... Yeah, if, if you're kind of constantly worrying about phishing scams or whatever, but those are things that probably the spam filter and other technologies are pretty good at flagging these days. Yes, you need and to educate your users on, your employees on what a phishing email is, et cetera. But that, that's, you know, there's almost different levels, isn't there, of different sort of exploit and, and risk. Like, like you said, to, to, to me individually, if I get this wrong, if I'm a member of the C-suite, like we've been talking quite a lot about the board, then clearly there's going to be career, you know, a potential career impact to me if I've, not, if I've not got this right. But if I'm just working in, in the sort of business unit, it's probably different. But at the same time, it's probably not going to help me get promoted anytime soon. So it's kind of, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a tricky one. But to our audience, in just a second, I'll give back the microphone to everybody else who speaks this even clearer than I do. But to our audience, I think the key piece here is as a consultant selling in something, if you can also be the voice of, and here's how you can communicate this, and here's how we're going to partner in that translation with you. If there's any piece of that that you can own, you are, you are becoming one of the most valuable people on their staff, even if you're external, because now they've got a resource they can go to that says, how do I make people care? I get you can I get you know when to set up the flag, but how do I make people care? And if you can help me with that language, boy, are you important? I'm curious, Oliver. I mean, you know, kind of taking off with Carol's idea there and kind of riffing a little further. You know, as a consultant, you know, as someone who might be deployed, I mean, you are an endpoint for some organization which might actually have multiple clients, right? Mm-hmm. What what is uh, what am I supposed to do about that if that's my gig, right? I mean, there's got to be opportunity for me. I think some of this is obviously dealing with the the security people of my firm, but I think I could be proactive. I'm kind of curious as to what advice you know somebody who's in the know would give to someone who is an endpoint at a on a consulting gig. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it kind of comes back to actually what Bill was just saying about storytelling, right? I think it's it's it, but it's a, it's a it's a tricky one because I see lots of ambulance chasing in this industry as well, right? Like lots of people sure. pointing at, oh, look at those guys. They just got they just got kind of you know uh, hacked or whatever, and you know let's use these guys as the kind of bogeymen to kind of sell some software or sell some consulting or or a solution. And I think that's you know, generally doesn't go down well at all, right? Because you know, uh, it, it's just not a nice way to kind of, you know, do business. And I think it's, so it's a, it's a, it's a fine line between kind of using those sorts of stories, like you don't want to be the next X, uh, but, 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 but also kind of letting people know that there are, there are, this is a layered kind of solution, which is probably perfect for a consulting kind of engagement, right? Where you've, you've got, Different, different sort of pieces of this to kind of bring to bear. Like Carol's touched on the kind of human element. There's clearly a technology element. There's a process element. Yeah, there's, ultimately, this is a multi-dimensional thing. And mm. also, there's lots of, as Chris said, kind of risk models and threat models and so on and so forth that need to be rethought and reworked now. So it's kind of almost like, yeah, if you guys had a, a risk model or a threat model, you now need to be kind of looking at that and, 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 and kind of dusting it off and kind of thinking is, is that now the same? Uh, are, are there kind of big things that you're seeing that you should be flagging to your client? Um, yeah, so I, I think it's, the other, the other thing for me is, coming back to the point we were making about the kind of risk team, the cyber team is, often this is an opportunity to make that kind of risk world data-driven. And there's an opportunity there to kind of say, look, this has just got to the point now, it's too complicated to do this with a clipboard and a spreadsheet these days, guys. You know, you've, you've got to kind of use the data, the continuous sort of, you know, compliance sort of concept. Yeah. You know, or continuous advisory is it's got to be a part of your service now. It's kind of a wake up call to say it's just not possible. You can't go around with a clipboard now because not everyone sits in the same office. You can't go and check their laptop because it's at home. So you're not going to go and drive around everyone's houses and check it. You've got to start using the tools and the platforms in order to do effective consulting. Well, and I think when you take great data and you wrap a narrative around it, like to Bill's example, you do, you talk right to people, they get it. When you take that data, that's real. We had a client recently say, you know, in April, we had 174,000 uh, emails or Zoom calls between our, between our group. And now in May, we had 572,000. You can tell that amps it up to a point where you go, oh, you know what? Security really does play a role in this. And so I think when you start taking that narrative and making it personal and then putting the data in to back it up, you really speak to both sides of the brain and it does stick. So, so I, I see three, three different segments of cybersecurity skills. One is uh, where you generate awareness, you write policy procedures and guidelines which people need to follow it's more like a communication, although softer side of security, which is important. Second is the hardcore uh, skill set requires to make your infrastructure secure, who understands the nuts and bolts of security from you know, infrastructure application network standpoint. And third is the technology experts who are like developers who needs to understand how to apply those security best practices when they write the piece of code. Is there anything else which is missing in the security, cybersecurity realm? So I think there's you know, there's this whole books and podcasts right on on things like NIST and and cybersecurity kind of frameworks and so on. And I think you know there's 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 clearly kind of like threat intelligence, there's threat hunting, there's 
um, you know, there's kind of enumerating or kind of areas that you might get attacked. But yeah, I, th- I think you're right. There's, there, there is ultimately the kind of uh, the, the infrastructure, as you say, there is the user awareness. And there. Uh, and I would say most companies now have some form of insight coming in, whether that's a, you know, a, a, a big data solution or, or something more, more, more like titanium, which is more kind of driving you real-time insight on what's on what's going on in your world. So I think it's, yeah, I mean, it, it, this gets really complicated. And obviously, the, the cybersecurity vendor landscape is incredibly complex. Uh, yes. And you know, there's a lot of vendors out there. Uh, and, and one of the things we try and do is simplify. So we, we aren't a point solution. You, know, you don't just buy us for one little bit of this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a platform play that kind of addresses a number of challenges, not just in the cybersecurity space, by the way, but also the kind of operations side of house as well. Because we found, actually, if you get your IT infrastructure right and your endpoint security right, then actually the cybersecurity piece is, is is enhanced massively. And if you break down that silo successfully, you improve security and you also improve user experience for the employee as well, because no longer have you got these different teams kind of arguing with each other about, oh, you guys aren't doing a good job, you're not patching, whatever. Actually, if they're all working off the same kind of set of data and same sort of process flow, they're actually kind of able to collaborate and some of that sort of friction and sort of finger pointing you know, starts to go away. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a complex one, and many organisations do this differently. You know, uh, we've obviously touched on the kind of zero trust piece. That's clearly going to kind of be a, a part of, um, of, of of folks' strategies moving forwards. And this this concept of defence in depth, you know, these different layers, and clearly there being a human aspect to that as much as a technology aspect yeah, of that is, is really important. Right. So, is 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 that a hook then, um, Oliver, for? For if I'm a senior associate at Deloitte and I'm running a project somewhere um, that has nothing to do with cybersecurity, um, is is that something I could take advantage of and maybe differentiate my offering or um, you know sell up or sell out? Yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I, I but, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would say that you know, in my experience, the cyber area even before the pandemic was one of the fastest growing areas of the consulting business, right? I mean, it was where a lot of re- revenues were flowing and, and lots of growth. Um, so I, I, I think clearly, if you can kind of branch into that into that world, or equally, you know, join up those sort of teams, you know, I think there's there's a massive opportunity there. That's not to say that it's easy. I mean, I think that's we we run into a lot of challenge there where folks just like their silos, you know, they, they they like their little point solutions, they like their little spreadsheets, and it's often difficult to get them to see a better way. So it's not to say it's an easy uh, gig, but certainly one that you, you you can certainly drive some great outcomes and, and some, you know, measurable improvements that yeah. you, know, you can look at the data, look at the metrics, right? How, how quickly are you patching or how, you know, how quickly are you closing down things when they're discovered? You know, that, that there's some, there's some great kind of KPIs and things that you could drive for. I actually think, you know, one of the most promising ways that um, someone who may not even be interested in cybersecurity, but sees it as an opportunity, right, uh, to, to sell. Um, you know, I think, listen, like, uh, and, and, and anyone can feel free to disagree with me, but um, when COVID really started ramping up, there seemed to be a rush by everyone and their brother to come out with contact tracing applications, right? It's like, here you go, install this app on your phone and it'll track you better than TikTok can track you. Um, you know, and, you know, I think there are a variety of reasons why maybe, you know, I, I have my own perspective on that. That is a whole nother topic. But I think this idea of that seemed to be like the gold rush, right? Like, oh, that's that's the way to go with 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 this. I actually think the way to go with this, and I think, 
you know, I talked about this um, offline, I think all over a, a while back, but mm-hmm. this idea that, you know, there is room here to help a client speak to each other internally, right? Because, you know, it's not just like, let, no offense. It's not just let's go in saltanium everywhere. That's, that's mm-hmm. my answer as a consultant. No, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, there's tech, got it. But there's also this, you know, we have to go talk to risk and compliance. Have, do you even know who they are? Yeah, it's it's hilarious, isn't it? Oftentimes that the external consultant is the one that is kind of connecting up the dots. Um, much like, I mean, Chris, we spoke about recently, like kind of the enterprise architect kind of being that person as well, you know, kind of, um, so the kind of architects and consultants are often the ones because they're just sort of talking to the different parts of the business. They're the ones that see the fact that a person sat there and a person sat there really should be <laughs> working a bit more closely. But, you know, it, it, just the internal silos mean they aren't. So, um yeah, no, I, I definitely think there is is that opportunity. Um, if it's not the classic quote of borrowing, you know, borrowing a watch and telling the time, I can't remember. I can't remember that one. There's there's something there, right, around, yeah. you know, it almost being screamingly obvious, and that the company should be doing this already, but it takes an external consultant to come in and point some of this stuff out, and mm-hmm. and, and it, it gets listened. It gets listened to, right? Yeah. Oh, one last question from my side, right? So we talk about cybersecurity awareness uh, when we come into corporates, right? And there's a fear of threat. You might end up losing your job or get dinged on your bonus if you don't follow certain security and guidelines, right? I think where um, the industry is failing is not educating kids right at a young age the importance of cybersecurity. Uh, I, my daughter has been doing you know, online education, but what is the importance of a password? How do you keep yourself safe? Safe, uh, you know that this whole COVID thing has accelerated their access to internet. That is not starting there. That should be part of the school technology curriculum, uh, and I don't see that happening. And it's it's almost an extension of personal hygiene in a way. Like and that's that yeah, you know, as as weird as that sounds, because we often sort of see this as a as a hygiene thing. You know, and that's often relatable. Like you you need to take care of your personal hygiene. You need to take care of your uh, technology hygiene as well. Like, you know, you need to make sure you're not storing too much data on there. You need to be careful with your passwords, as you say. And it almost feels like it's something that folks should, you know, get trained on early on. Uh, because I think there is, if you look at the younger generation, I think there is a tendency to kind of share, 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 and not think about, you know, I'm overgeneralizing here, and I'm, I'm sure I'll get loads of blames for saying this, but, you know, it, there is this kind of tendency that the, the implications of what they're doing isn't perhaps always considered, perhaps because the education isn't there. Folks just see the benefit and they don't see the perhaps the darker side. Well, that's, a white, that's a white space. That's a white space for us. I, I think that's interesting because now it's, so what I hear you saying, Oliver, is, you know, um, you can tell your children, did you brush your teeth? Did you, um, you know, brush your hair? Did you wash your face? Did you change your password? And did, yes. you, update, and did you update your iPhone? Yeah, did you, update, did yeah. you update your iPhone to the yeah. last yeah, so that yeah. the, uh, the charger, the yeah. remote charger will work. <laughs> I was just trying to figure out if cybersecurity security comes before or after sex ed. Yeah. <laughs> Good question. Before, before, before. Uh, because if you're running out of time. If you're going on an online one, if you're going on an online one, you need to be Yeah. Exactly. I think the reason people have issues with security now is because the way they're looking at security security models is flawed. Um, and I'll take the cat versus cow. 
I think everybody looks at the organization as a bunch of cats. So my fluffy mm-hmm. server, my this, my that. Instead, they need to be looking at it as a cow. And I go to the cloud native architecture. So some of you know our viewers be in the cloud native architecture. It's like, for example, one of my security things is I get containers I kill every five minutes. So I have security app, apps running in the background. And my, my, my threat, and I don't have to pay hundreds of thousand dollars for for edge devices. I just kill that, I kill that container. So by the time they could actually get to that container, if they can get to it, the time of life for that to live is five minutes anyways. And you know, so Bill, there's a whole separate conversation we should have about the whole kind of cattle <laughs> versus pets sort of security thing. Because I think I think there is almost a, you know, a, a, a almost a security by not obscurity, but kind of just ex- thinking that the whole game changes with containers. You're, you're right to one level, but I think there is also sort of forensic information and things that just get lost when you just kill them and things like that. So, yeah, I, I think I, I think. In general, I agree with you. You do need a different approach, but I think this sort of expectation that all of a sudden security sort of is magically easier with this kind of cattle model. Uh, I don't know, the problem shifts, right? But like I say, it is a a whole topic on its own. So maybe we should get on a separate call and uh, and, and jam on that one. (laughs) That's what I try to do. I I think you could turn the problem on its head because it's one of those deals like the light bulb was not invented by iterating on the candle. And so I almost see like see like cybersecurity as right now they're trying to iterate on existing cybersecurity mentalities, which is not going to solve the future and or a lot of good current uh, ways of uh, getting into systems. As Oliver pointed out, we could talk. This could branch into so many different areas, and you know I'm going to have a problem coming up with the title for this episode because calling it the one about cybersecurity implies that it's like a 12-hour you know seminar. Attract people. What about endpoints? Maybe what about endpoints? Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's security of endpoints. But so, yeah. uh, so I guess my 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 question here, sort of just to bring this home and wrap it up, and we'll let Oliver go last. But um, I, I want to know from each of you guys, right? Like, so so what is the question, right? It's like great, we have all these changes, we have this crisis, we have the way that it's been done before, we know it's changing. Um, you know, it used to be servers in a data center. Now it's billions of mobile devices everywhere. Uh, so what? If I'm the cat on the ground, you know, what do I do or do I do anything differently? Um, and I guess this would be my question. I'll, you know, I'll start with, uh, Shashi, uh, let's start with you, buddy. What, what, what should we do differently? So one is, you know, awareness. Um, it's extremely important. That's, you know, First is, if you want to act on it, you need to be aware about it. Um, second thing which I feel is this awareness has to start right from uh, younger age among kids. So they are aware of it. So by the time they join the workforce, they appreciate the importance of something like this. So they can start following those and your enterprises will be uh, less risky as compared to many others. From a consulting standpoint, I think it's an immensely, you know, very high potential. I see more and more people going for their undergrad in cybersecurity. Um, it's a very upcoming discipline, which will be in demand not only now, going forward. Um, so I would encourage my child also to look into this and see what needs to be done. So in addition to world champion Taekwondo, she will also yeah. Yeah, be expert in cybersecurity. I, like I don't it. know about expert, but at least uh, not a newbie. Ah, God, not a newbie. Carol, what, what's the implication here? What's your, what's your final thought on this? I think the implication is that we're going to need to find ways to simplify, not dumb down, but simplify these messages to people in a palatable at size so that they can say, I need to know this. And I think so much as Ashashi's point, it's going to become, I, I brush my teeth, I do this. And before I shut off my, my laptop, when I shut off my laptop every night, because 
that's a, a good thing to do. I do these protocols and th- maybe those protocols get updated, but I don't need to keep having the world's on fire messages about that. It's just up oh, here's expect new protocols once a week as we continue to reinforce our security. It just has to get simple and it has to be prioritized so that I can put it into my day in a way that has meaning instead of here's another fire I have to put out. You know what? I think this problem goes away. Um, <laughs> I get it. No. I'm, but is I mean, that a, a miracle? Miraculous? No, 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 not like the miracle. I get it just one day. It'll just all fade away. No, I mean, you know, so you've got stuff, you know, like where Oliver is. You've got Tanium and, you know, this stuff eventually has AI loaded against it. Not that it doesn't already, right? And basically it gets smarter and smarter. And, you know, yeah, we're going to need people. I, I was sitting there thinking, you know, when Shashi's talking about, well, I want my kids to understand cybersecurity. I don't remember any cybersecurity books from when I started my career, but I'm pretty sure what they would have said was make sure that your punch cards are locked up at night, right? <laughs> and it, I mean, it would have just been, it was a different problem altogether. And the problem's going to keep changing and the attack vectors are going to keep changing. And I think, you know, the cool thing is, good software out there with AI. It's always awake. It can be scaled in a way that I can't be scaled. I think that's really helpful. But to me, I think what my responsibility is, is an individual human on this planet trying to do the right thing for people to say, hey, we need to make sure these tools are deployed and that we know how to use them. That they're actually doing their jobs and they're properly configured. There are things for us to do. And it is part for all of us, right? All of us have a security role, even if there's no security never showed up in my um, you know, job description. It is in fact, like everything else, security is part of everybody's job description because you know, there are threats everywhere. Bill Benson, you have any final words more about cows and cats and other animal husbandry? Um, I, I think you could solve this. Um, I'm going to take I'm going to take a, a page from Ben Trainer from Google, his book. Ben Trainer developed the site reliability engineering aspect. Um, his whole goal was we're going to take software engineers and have software engineers solve infrastructure and operations problems. Hence, came out SRE. They've been very good with it. And so, this is going to say take software engineers and solve security problems. I think the biggest thing we see in um, in, in technology, and this is maybe me being biased, um, but software engineers create. You have a lot of people that don't create, they just do push buttons, the next, next, next. I really think you need to take software engineering approaches to cybersecurity, and then you'll change the landscape of what the threat is. For my part, for me, right, and I'm thinking about it from the perspective of what do I tell my client, right? Um, How do I, not to be crass about it, but how do I take advantage of, you know, this moment in time to maybe differentiate or do something differently? Um, I look at it from the perspective of, you know, a little bit of what Phil was saying. I think the, the technology is almost table stakes, right, at this point. And for me, I think it's, um, you know, how, you know, what are what are what are the people problems involved in um, in you know making this uh, either go away or become built in to the point where it's not, you know, it's part of design. Right. I know Bill's big on security as part of design, right? I think, you know, how do we get there? And I think if you are advising your client on anything and you bring to the table this idea of, you know, how, how are you, Mr. Manager in a company, going to have a conversation with your peers about security from the get-go as part of the design? 
I can help broker that conversation. That's the power of a consultant I can bring to this table. I can help you uh, navigate that conversation. And yeah, maybe you get to the point then where um, not that security is an afterthought, but it's an afterthought because it's built into everything that we do all the time. And I don't have to go and spend 20 minutes picking out every bicycle in the picture in a, you know, 20 blocks on a, I mean, it gets to a point where it's like, you know, security by, you know, what, what is it? Security by obfuscation or, you know, <laughs> security by complication. It's so, so secure that I don't use it. Um, yeah. So, uh, so with that, uh, Oliver, I'll give you the, the final word on this. What, what are your sort of takeaways in, on this topic? Cause I know we no, no, stuff. No, it's, it's been, it's been great to hear different perspectives uh, on this one. And I agree uh, with, with what you've said. And I think for me as an architect, I kind of look at this from, from an architecture standpoint. And I, and I think many organizations just haven't architected, you know, their systems management or their cybersecurity solutions. What they've done is they've had a burning problem and they've thrown cash at it. A lot of organizations I see, they have, they just have a mess of different things they've just gone for, right? Because someone's come in and gone, oh, you need a GDPR solution or you need a, you know, this solution, a compliance solution. And and before you know it, you've got 40 things running on each individual computer, right? That's, that's in your environment. And that's just crazy. You know, you've got 40 things sucking up the ability of your computer to do something useful. So I think for me, it's, it, yes, it's it's not just about technology, but the technology landscape for this for many customers is just too messy and, and needs rethinking. And to your point, Chris, now is maybe an opportunity to kind of re, re, reflect and rethink on perhaps those castle and moat things we started talking about at the beginning. You know, whether whether it's time to sort of retire those and go for something that's more dynamic and and, and meets the kind of modern challenges. But yeah, it, it, but I also echo House. Uh, it's not it's not just about technology. Folks need to understand what they're you know what that's important to them. And so I think it's it's ultimately the the classic kind of architectural piece for me, which is you know the technology, the process, you know, what people should do, and then you know the, the kind of people user awareness education thing. And I think it will continue to be that. But to Phil's point, it will evolve and it will change, and those things will adapt over time. So I think it's kind of you know investing in those three layers and reviewing them on a regular basis. And for consultants, that's ultimately something that's ongoing, an ongoing service offering potentially, or an ongoing sort of maturity assessment or review that 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 you know would be very valuable to their to their clients right now. So picking up on the architecture theme, do you want to um, you know plug your your stuff? Yeah, you know what? I should have used that as an opportunity to plug, shouldn't I? Right. So yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, architect I'll, tomorrow. I'll edit it so that it seems like. Seems oh, nice. Very good. Right. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So architect tomorrow is very much about 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 this. It's not just about cybersecurity. We're looking at other big sort of challenges as well, like sustainability and uh, and other and other things that architects need to start thinking about to help their organizations sort of adapt and and thrive in 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 uh, you know the, the new sort of strange times that we're finding ourselves. In. You know, so for me, the reason we created it is that you know, the, the ability for one sort of architect or a consultant, in fact, in this in this instance, kind of ability to kind of process all the sort of technology changes and business changes, industry changes now, it's just, it's just too complicated. You know, it's got past the point of being able to comprehend all of that. So Architect Tomorrow is an attempt to kind of bring you know different perspectives together on the topic of architecture. And that's not just technical architecture, but also enterprise architecture and business architecture, and get people to kind of come together, much like we have on this call, really, and, and kind of you know look at an issue and how can we collectively problem solve that in a, in a different way um so we're not all sort of investing the same intellectual you know um processing solving the same thing over and over again so look, if folks want to get in, involved in that i, I i'm i'm uh, very uh, very open to folks kind of getting in touch with me and and, and uh, getting involved and how can they do that? Is there a website? Is there a LinkedIn group? Uh, what's the best there, way? There is. There's a there's a YouTube channel. So Architect Tomorrow is the YouTube channel. So check that out. And there's a LinkedIn group, Architect Tomorrow as well. And over time, hopefully, we'll have more stuff online. But at the moment, that's where we're hanging out. We're on LinkedIn and we're on YouTube. 
And if they want to contact you directly, best way to do it, LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn or Twitter. Yeah, I'm Okronk at Twitter. And yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn. Luckily, my name is pretty unique, so you can find me fairly easily on LinkedIn. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, listen, I appreciate you joining us uh, from the UK. Thank you. Um, so that that is all for today. Um, I want to thank everybody. I mean, we, I don't know that we've all been on in a while. So uh, Bill Bensing, Phil Yanov, uh, Carol Hamilton, Shashi Shramali. Uh, I'm Chris Lockhart. Please go to uh, LinkedIn to find this. Go to YouTube to find this. Download the audio-only version uh, if you choose to do so from all of your uh, podcasting places. Uh, and it's also available at consultantsayingthings.com, as always. So uh, thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. And uh, I'll see you around next time.